Welcome to the PSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. Our old friends at Infineon just completed a four-part article series with us on silicon and wideband gap solutions, and today we wanted to take a deeper dive into the last part on design guidelines for high-power server and telecom power supplies use cases. And with us today is the author of the piece, Dr. Gerald DeBoy. So Dr. DeBoy, welcome aboard. And in your article, you mentioned how power supplies for server and telecom have been amongst the early adopters for wideband gap semiconductors. Now, why do you suppose this is, and what advantages do you think that these wideband gap solutions confer upon the power supplies? So thank you for the invitation. We are seeing a continuous increase both in efficiency and density for servers and telecom. In telecom, for example, for remote base stations, that is mainly driven by the electricity cost to operate the network. And for servers, there's a clear trend towards higher efficiency, on the one hand driven by legislation, like making the titanium standard mandatory, and on the other side, as servers become ever more power-hungry, basically the <coughs> users for server power supplies need to put ever more power into the same box size. So these two factors are driving efficiency and density continuously up. When you reach a level of around 70 watt per cubic inch for titanium standard efficiency, then basically silicon can no longer follow. You can't reach set design point with silicon. You need to improve the efficiency both in the PFC and in the DCDC stage. And that is the perfect opportunity for wide band gap as wide band gap devices offer just that additional margin in efficiency, half a percentage more in PSC, and maybe 0.3-0.4% more in the LLC, which you need in order to pass the titanium standard. Okay, now along those same lines and beyond what you just mentioned, why do you think server and telecom power supplies are rapidly turning towards wide band gap semiconductors? There are two factors. On the one hand side, it's the legislation, which I just mentioned, which makes titanium standard mandatory. The other topic is that if you take a look at the amortization time, basically the savings in the electricity bill can, can pay for the originally slightly higher cost of the power supplies in a very short time. You have a turnaround time maybe of two to three years. And if you think that Basically, in the hyperscale data center, power supply is becoming part of the infrastructure. It's moving into the rack. It's no longer put on the motherboard, but it becomes part of the rack infrastructure. So the use case for the power supplies is six to seven years. If the higher efficiency is paid back by savings in the electricity bill within two to three years, you get a win-win situation for the end customer, like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and for the power supply maker, because you can sell a more um, expensive and differentiating power supply, and also, of course, for us as a semiconductor manufacturer. Right. Now, jumping ahead a bit, why is the combination of superjunction technology with an SIC Shockey barrio diode a good choice for power factor correction stages below 98.5% efficiency in a general sense? And why does CoolMOS fit that particular bill? So power factor correction has been along for quite some time. And the classic topology which you find for power factor correction is a bridge rectifier 
followed by a boost converter. The boost converter requires one switch, switching at high frequency, and a freewheeling diode. And specifically here is a combination of a silicon carbide shocky diode with its extremely low reverse recovery charge and a cool MOS which is designed and tailored towards hard switching with basically lossless turn-off and with very low turn-on losses which can just match the energy stored in the output capacitance. You have a very perfect match of these two devices. And that topology combination together with the bridge rectifier is setting the benchmark. The majority of the market is using this topology today. Um, we reach around 98.5, and if that is no longer good enough, like going for titanium standard, like pushing server power supplies towards 98% efficiency, if you need 99% in the PSE stage, then you go into bridgeless topologies, such as totem pole, and then you have a clear value proposition for silicon carbide and gallium nitride. Okay, now, now later in the article you mentioned that 100-volt rated uh, gallium nitride high-electron mobility transistors with their zero-reverse uh, recovery charge create a significant benefit when being used as a synchronous rectif rectification switch. Uh, could you elaborate a bit on this? So when we push power density ever higher, so beyond the 70 to 80 watt per cubic inch towards around 100 watt per cubic inch, which is pretty much the border you can reach, right? We talk about high switching frequencies in the DC-DC converter, so pushing the LLC from 100 kilohertz today into 300, 400, 500 kilohertz um, resonance frequency. We, we're going to use planar magnetics. We're going to see gallium nitride on the primary side. When we now go towards 400, 500 kilohertz, the reverse recovery charge on the secondary side, the reverse recovery charge of the synchronous rectification switches becomes an issue. These charges create losses on the primary side. They create a reflected current on the primary side. And you do not want to have this when you go up in to very high switching frequencies. So here's a perfect combination is to use GAN on the primary side, but also GAN with its true zero reverse recovery charge also on the secondary side. Well, great. Well, thanks, Dr. Dubois. On behalf of PSD, I want to thank you for your time. And to our audience, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and healthy, and have a great day.